It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome to the Virtual Bible Study for uh, Thursday, October 4th, 2007. We are live and we're glad you're part of the Virtual Bible Study tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. I'm joined by my father, Greg Gwynn. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you on the virtual Bible study tonight. Good to be with you. We're glad that you've joined us, and we hope you'll take a minute to join in on the discussion. You can do so by calling 877-381-4567 or by sending your questions or comments via email. Send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to the discussion with you tonight. Dad, want to talk about an important subject tonight, sort of a follow-up to what we talked about last week. Eric, it ties in with what we talked about last week. We want to talk about Bible authority tonight. Well, Jacob, I think this is a really important subject. Uh, we mention it fairly often, but I don't think it can be overemphasized. Bible authority is simply the idea of how do we know what we're supposed to be doing in service to God? How do we go to the Bible, discern from it what God wants us to be doing, and then do it? You know, there's got to be some authority in in any activity that you engage in, Jacob. There has to be authority. There has to be some rules to go by. I mean, that's true in our nation and in our, in our communities. It's true in our homes. It's true in schools and businesses. And, you know, I think every every right thinking person realizes there has to be some authority when whenever people work together in close union with one another, close community to one another. There has to be some rules to regulate that. And it is certainly no less important, I think, actually, ultimately more important that we have proper authority in matters of religion. We have to have authority. If we don't have authority, as you said, it's a free-for-all. We can do anything that we want. If we say that we don't have to have Bible authority, we really open up the doors for anything that we want to do. And, you know, it's important to notice that we need to have Bible authority for everything that we do, because if we say Bible authority is not important in one area, then it's not important in any area. That's how important the subject is tonight. I think that's right, and I think that's something we want to emphasize as we go through our discussion tonight, is that if you if you allow exceptions, then where do you stop the ex- exceptions? We'll talk about that. I think it's very important to, to think along those lines. Um, as we start into this discussion, let me read a couple of questions we put out to our update list this week, uh, today, earlier today, and we remind those who are listening, if you're not getting our weekly updates and if you're not getting our our uh, messages concerning the programming and so forth, you can send us uh, a message, questions at collegeview.com, and just say, add me to your mailing list, and we'll do that. Uh, every week we send out our, our church bulletin on Tuesday, and then on Thursday, sometime during the day on Thursday, we usually send out an update about that evening's program, about the topic, and some questions that we we hope to get feedback on. And today we send out these questions, Jacob. Number one, what is the most common mistake that people make when it comes to the subject of Bible authority? And number two, assume you have one shot to impress upon someone the importance of Bible authority for our religious practices. What approach or scriptural argument would you use? 
So those were the two questions we sent out. And if you haven't sent us any feedback yet, or if you didn't get that update, send us feedback now. What's Number one, what's the most common mistake that people make when it comes to the subject of Bible authority? And number two, assume that you have one shot to impress someone upon someone the importance of Bible authority for our religious practices. What approach or scriptural argument would you use? Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We want you to stay tuned tonight. Towards the end of the program, we'll tell you about an upcoming program that's going to be related to this. It's an exciting program that we've got planned, and we hope you'll stay tuned to the end of the program when we tell you about what's coming up on a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. As we talk about authority tonight on the program and the importance of it, we cannot underestimate the importance of Bible authority, and we don't have to look very far in the religious world to see people who have just disregarded the concept of authority You look at all kinds of various religious activities with no grounds at all that we can find about in the Bible, people doing just whatever they want to do, calling it service to God. And if we don't have to have authority for what we do, we'd have to accept that what they're doing is service to God, but I don't believe God does. I think that's right. Jacob, to introduce our study, we might look to a text in Matthew chapter 21. One of the instances where Jesus was interacting with the corrupt religious leaders of his day uh, these would be the people who would ultimately be responsible for calling uh, upon Pilate to crucify Jesus. And they were his enemies, obviously, but they came to him and they asked a question. And although they were corrupt men and, and were not uh, uh, acting or thinking correctly, they did ask an appropriate question. In Matthew 21, verse 23, when Jesus was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Well, it goes on to say that Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet, And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said to them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Well, the corruptness of these men is exposed. They wouldn't answer a legitimate question because they knew that either way it went, it would be against them politically, and they were only interested in their political advantage. So Jesus quickly and very, uh, I think, skillfully exposed their hypocrisy. But... What I'm pointing out here is that this conversation started with a legitimate question to Jesus. By what authority doest thou these things and who gave thee this authority? These Jewish leaders, even despite all their problems, they had a a recognition of a need for authority in religion. That's what they asked when they said, by what authority doest thou these things? And they realized that the authority has to come from someone who has a right to give it. And they said, who gave thee this authority? So, again, it's a, it's a legitimate question. Now, Jesus turned it around on him when he said, the baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And Jesus' answer actually shows that in matters of religion, there are only two sources. One is from God, and the other is from man. And we're still faced with that same situation today, Jacob. In, in matters of religion, there's all kinds of things going on out there. And it can only be either from heaven or of men. 
And we, of course, want our authority to be of heaven from God. Exactly right. But so many people in the religious world today are doing things because it's what they want to do. It's what makes them feel good. They want to find justification for any type of activity that they want to have, including sinful behaviors, behaviors that the Bible very plainly says are sinful. People are trying to find some way to justify them. People are doing whatever they want to do. Their authority, obviously, is from men, not from God. Just because we claim something is right doesn't make it so. We've got to have authority for it from the Scriptures. Of course, maybe added to this consideration, Jacob, is the, uh, I think, the very obvious point that we can't guide ourselves. We're not capable of knowing what to do ourselves. Jeremiah 10, verse 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We can't direct our own steps. We need guidance but we need divine guidance. We don't. We don't need what other men think or their opinions. You know, I, I think it's been stated so many times. Uh, opinions are like noses. Everybody has one, and if it's just an opinion, then one's as good as another. Your opinion's as good as mine, and the next guy's opinion's as good as either one of those. We're not looking for human opinion. It's not in us to direct our own steps. We need God's guidance. So uh, many people in the religious world today need to understand that. And, you know, we talked last week about uh, worshiping God and uh, how can we say that we're worshiping God when we're refusing to do what he had would have us to do. You know, if we look at uh, the Bible as something that just gets in our way, something that we don't want to follow, how can we say that God is the Lord of our lives? Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567 or send us your emails to questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to your participation on the program tonight. Remember the two questions we're asking in particular. Any Bible question or comment is fair game tonight. But remember the two questions. What is the most common mistake that people make when it comes to the subject of Bible authority? And number two, assume that you have one shot to impress someone upon the the importance of Bible authority for our religious practices. What approach or scriptural argument would you use? We're looking forward to your comments on those questions or any comment you might have on the program tonight as we talk about Bible authority. Jacob, I think we could stress just how important this is by remembering the words of Jesus in Matthew fifteen nine, when he said, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. If you teach the commandments of men, it makes your worship vain. Vain means worthless, good for nothing. So how important is this? Well, it's important enough that it would make your worship worthless. You could be engaging in religious activity, but it could be doing absolutely no good at all, because if you're following the commandments of men and not the, the authority of God from the Bible, your wor- worship is worthless. Well, it puts things in perspective. A lot of people look at religious activities and ask the question, does it make me happy? Is it something I want? How does it make me feel? God really doesn't care about your opinion on that. He wants you to follow what he has put forth in the Bible. And if we're going to be pleasing to him, we must be following his word and not our own will. You know, it's very common when we talk to people about religious things to hear the kind of arguments that, well, it seems to me, or I think, or I like it. And, you know, on the danger of being too blunt, we would just have to respond to that. It doesn't matter. We don't care. Because when it comes to religion, it's what God wants. It's what he desires, not what our personal preferences are. That really matters. Or I just feel this way or doing doing this in my life gives me this wonderful feeling. 
I know it must be right. I know God must approve of the way that I'm living and the things that I'm doing because of the way I feel. Again, our feelings can't be the judge. We must look to God's word. I remember a story I heard years ago that I thought illustrated the danger of trusting your your religious uh, practice and your soul's eternal destiny to feelings. I remember hearing about a woman. I, I don't know if this is a true story or just an illustration, but a woman was describing her salvation experience. She said she knew she was saved because she was in a church service one time. And suddenly she had this overwhelming feeling. She said she felt like she was floating in air. She felt light as a feather. And the fellow who was listening to her questioned her, and he said, well, were you floating in the air? And she said, well, no. He said, well, were you really light as a feather? And she said, certainly not. And he says, well, if you weren't floating in air and you weren't light as a feather, then how do you know you were saved? No, if those things weren't true, how could the feeling of salvation be true too? Now that's I think that maybe illustrates the idea that, but a lot of people go that route. Isn't it amazing though when we talk about something as important as our salvation that someone would trust a feeling that they can't read anything about in the Bible? I can't read anything in the Bible about someone feeling as light as a feather or floating on air and being saved. I find instruction on what I need to do in order to be saved and uh, the obedience that God requires of me, but I can't find anything about a feeling, and yet we're so ready to accept those types of things as a judge of whether or not we're in a right relationship with God, and it shows us the importance of having Bible authority for what we believe and what we practice. got an email coming in from Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. Jim, we're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study tonight, and he's answering one of our questions, Jacobs, what is the most common mistake people make he says i think the most common mistake that people make is to assume what they want that's what we were just saying what i like what makes me feel good they assume that what they want god will be pleased with so jim is uh, i think right in line with what we were just saying most folks he goes on to say most folks don't ask what will please god instead they often say well what's wrong with it whatever the practice is uh, they don't have the concept of looking to God's word, but, but just assume that he will accept whatever we offer him. You know, if you were going to meet Jim for lunch, Jim was running a few minutes late. Would you propose to order uh, something for Jim to drink while the waiter comes around and you're sitting there by yourself? Jim's not there yet. You think you could decide what Jim would like to drink with his lunch? I think he'd have sweet tea. Sure, Jim, and you better like it when you get it because that's what you're going to get. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that for our friends that... Uh, uh, here on earth, why would we think we could do it for God? Why yeah. would we assume God would be pleased with this kind of worship? He hadn't told me to do it, but I know he'll be pleased with it. Yeah. Jim goes on to add, of course, Malachi 1 deals with the idea that God does not accept just anything. And that's exactly right. That's a great text in Malachi chapter 1. Jim, thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. All right. It's time for us to take a break. And while we're away at the break, why not use that time to compose your email or to let your fingers do the walking and give us a call, 877-381-4567. Send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. 
Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. I'm Troy Smith, and now I'm 13 years old. I'm Mike Smith. I'm Troy's dad, and we love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the Virtual Bible Study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Thank you again for joining us, and we're looking forward to your participation as we talk about authority and the need for it in our religious practices. It is so important that we have authority. Without authority, we really open the door for anything and everything. And as long as we call it religion, we can justify it if we do not have to have authority. Hey, we've got an email coming in from one of our loyal listeners in central Indiana. Uh, and uh, along the lines of what are the mistakes that some people make in regards to Bible authority, uh, here's a suggestion. Some propose the idea that there are so many translations of the Bible that trying to support a point might not be possible when different versions are used. And I, I take it that that this is suggesting the idea that some people have the Bible's been corrupted, that it's not really reliable. The copies that we have are not terribly accurate to what was originally written. And plus, there are all kinds of different translations out there. And you may, Jacob, you may be using the King James translation and prove a point from it. But I could take another translation, a different English translation, and I could come up with a completely different conclusion. Therefore, we can't come down hard on anybody because the Bible is just very vague it's been loosely translated and inaccurately transported to us through the centuries, and therefore we're just going to have to back off and let people do what they want to do. Well, we if we give them that, that, uh, that argument, we can still go back to the Greek. If we say that there are no valid translations today, we can still go back to the original text, and we can study the original text uh, in the original language, not the original copies, but uh, valid copies that have been validated and we can have confidence that uh, we are believing and practicing the correct things because we go back to the original language and study it if we are going to assume that there are no valid translations today. But I would uh, differ with that as well. I believe that we do have valid translations, and the translations that uh, that we study from can be validated very easily. I, I think so. Uh, you know, we're not Greek scholars. There are not many of them. Some, there are Greek scholars, but not many of us are. And so we're depending upon Greek scholars to translate the the new testament for instance to us in accurate form and they have they're scholars they work together and they there's a, a a real sense of checks and balances in what they do a scholar is not going to produce a faulty translation when he knows he's got other scholars looking over his shoulder who are going to ridicule him for his mistake if he makes one and so they sort of check off on one another and there are just uh, at, at this point numerous reliable english translations of the bible and they all reach the same conclusions about what God wants us to do. Now, there are some faulty man-made paraphrases out there that people need to be on guard about. 
But if you take the legitimate translations of the English Bible, the ones that have been uh, translated from the original documents, the original languages, and produced by a a uh, uh, committee or a or, or a whole group of scholars who check off against one another, this argument is not legitimate. It's just not a legitimate argument. We got an email uh, from our friend Randy up in Jackson, Missouri, and he commented along these lines as sort of an independent thought, but it ties in with this question. Uh, He says, the Bible has been preserved and protected throughout history like no other document. There is far more evidence of the authenticity of the Bible than any other ancient document. More copies of the manuscripts exist than for any other ancient work. Even new discoveries, such as the Dead Sea Scrolls, show that the text is nearly identical to those used throughout the centuries. The Bible is indeed a miraculous set of books. And so I think Randy is on the mark there, too, uh, suggesting the idea that we can have complete confidence in the Bible. And if we're working from a legitimate English translation, we're not going to we're not going to end up with different conclusions. We can come down very firmly to conclude what God wants us to know from the scriptures. Certainly can. Appreciate that question tonight and that comment. Let us know your questions or comments at 877-381-4567 or by emailing questions at collegeview.com. I got a got a follow-up from Jim in Mount Pleasant. And he says, if you're going to order sweet tea for him, Jacob, he said, don't put any lemon in it. Well, I didn't know that, see. If I had assumed that Jim would wanted the lemon in his tea, I would have made a wrong assumption. Would have had Jim mad at me. I can deal with that, but I don't want God mad at me. I want to make sure that I do what God wants. And the only way that I know what God wants is by knowing what he has revealed to us in his word, his will. That's the only way that we know that what we're doing will be pleasing to God is if we can find references to it in the New Testament. Let us know your thoughts again, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. So we've shown the importance of Bible authority, having authority for what we do, because, again, we don't know that God will be pleased with what we're doing unless he has given us authority for it in his word. That begs the question, then, how do we establish Bible authority? How do we go to the word of God and know what God's will is for us therein? Well, I think there's sort of a, a, a threefold approach to use here, Jacob. Three different approaches to the Scripture that help us understand it and and know from it what we're to do. And the easiest of those is that when we read a direct command or statement in the Scripture that that uh, obligates us to act or prevents us from acting in other ways, then you know when the Bible just comes out and says do this or don't do that, that's pretty straightforward and we can understand that. For instance. An easy example is Ephesians 6, verse 2. Honor thy father and mother. Well, there's a direct command, not hard to understand. And so when when we find that kind of statement in the Bible, I hope that everybody would agree. When, the, when God's through the scriptures, when God says, do this, don't do that, we ought to, we ought to be able to understand that. You know, there probably was a time, uh, maybe a few years ago, where you could have done that, said everybody would agree that if it says it, we need to do it. But it seems like these days... People are even challenging that. When we see a direct command in the Bible, people are even challenging that. Yeah, maybe a, an example of that, Jacob, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. 
Now, that seems pretty straightforward to me. That's, that seems like anybody ought to be under, able to understand. That's saying that the women are not to speak, not to be over the men in the church. But there are people who don't even take that very direct statement and make legitimate application. I've got one maybe even more uh, apparent than that. Matthew 19, verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso shall marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. That verse is very clear. I've heard people who claim to be Christians say, well, that's just so complicated. I can't understand that. And so when it gets down to direct commands, Dad, that principle is easy to say and easy to establish. But when we find a direct command that is violates what we want to do, then those direct commands sometimes become a little bit hard to understand. Yeah, that passage you just read from Matthew nineteen nine on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, you know, whenever... I hear somebody saying, oh, I I just can't understand that, or, oh, that's just so hard. I wish the Lord had been more clear on that subject. I almost immediately think that this is a person who has some issue with marriage, divorce, and remarriage, because to read that statement is not difficult. It's understandable. When someone says that, I think to myself, hold on, there's going to be a lot of twisting and turning going on, because uh, it's simple. It's only complicated when we try and change it. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, that, that's the first. I said there were three ways that we want to go about establishing Bible authority, and that's that's the easy one, direct command or statement. There's another way, though, that I think is also uh, a means of establishing Bible authority, and that is when we, we see examples from the New Testament of how early Christians performed their religious duty to God, when we see their example— we can imitate it. We call that sometimes a proved example. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, no, excuse me, I want chapter 4 uh, and verse 9. This is where I want to be. Philippians 4, verse 9, the Apostle Paul said, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. The Apostle Paul was there saying that the things that they had seen him do. Now, remember, he was an inspired apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what people had seen him do, he said, you do what you saw me do. And therefore, he, he established the idea that approved apostolic example. Sometimes we say at that time, we, we say approved example, approved apostolic example. When we know that the example was approved by inspired men, we can imitate it and do what they did with the approval of God. Certainly, it has to be an approved activity. If, uh, certainly, we wouldn't want to follow someone like Peter when he was in error by not associating with the Gentiles. We wouldn't want to follow that example. But we could follow other examples that Peter uh, gave us in his life that would show us how we ought to behave in order to be pleasing to God. Well, you, you suggested the episode in Galatians chapter 2 where Peter played the hypocrite. He knew that, that the Gentiles had been accepted by God, but he, when, when he was around certain Jews, he played the hypocrite and he avoided the Gentiles. And um, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. So here's an apostle. We're not saying the apostles were sinless. Here's a case of an apostle who was wrong, and, and he was rebuked for his error. So we wouldn't follow that example. It's not an approved example. But now in Acts chapter 4, Peter was bold uh, to, to the Jews in telling them that uh, about Christ and standing up for what was right. We would definitely want to follow that example in Peter's life. That's an approved example. Correct. So we've got to make that distinction. It has to be an approved example. But when 
the example is approved. And I think the good verse there that, that we read is Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul actually said, the things you've seen me do, you do those things, and the God of peace will be with you. So that proves that uh, approved example is a form of establishing Bible authority. Or we probably should maybe be even a little bit more specific here, Jacob. We're looking for New Testament authority for our practice as Christians. You know, we might, we don't want, I don't think we're going to end up confusing any of our listeners, but we would not want to leave the misimpression that we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We, we might comment about that a little later, but we're not going to go back to the Old Testament to pick up authority for our current religious practice. The Old Testament law uh, is not our law today. It was God's law for the Israelites, but it's not our law today. So we're, we're especially trying to establish Bible authority for us living in this Christian dispensation. So we've talked about two uh, ways to establish authority, a direct command, do this or do not do that, and an example that is approved. Someone in the New Testament did it, and they were approved by God when they did it. We can guarantee then that we would be approved if we follow their example. And there's one more way to establish authority, Dad, before our break. Give us a quick rundown on the third and final way to establish authority. Well, the third way to establish authority is what we sometimes call necessary inference, and that is a, a, a inescapable conclusion or a logical conclusion drawn from available information. Um, the classic example of, a, of necessary inference is Hebrews 10.25. This is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Well, if there's going to be an assembling of ourselves together, there must then be a place for such assembly. And so... In other words, the command to assemble infer or, or implies, and we infer from that, that there must be a place for the assembly to take place. And so that is the third way, uh, necessary inference, a, an inescapable conclusion drawn from the available information. That's right. So we have three ways, a direct command, an approved example, or necessary inference, or an unavoidable conclusion are ways that we can establish authority and understand God's will from the Scriptures. All right, let's take a break. I thought you were trying to tell me something <laughs> over there. I thought you had something to add. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're going to continue right after this, so jump in now. Let us know your thoughts. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? The College View Church is still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible, and they're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about authority and the importance for it in our religious activities. We're noted that we need to have authority. Without authority, anything and everything can go. So we need to have authority. We establish authority by a direct command, by an approved example of someone in the New Testament, and by a necessary inference or an unavoidable conclusion given the instructions of the New Testament. Unavoidable conclusions 
uh, give us the authority to act in religious activities. Jacob, the, the, I think, and I, I know a lot of our listeners tonight have heard this uh, demonstrated in this way, but the, the, the observance of the Lord's Supper uh, puts all three of those things together in a really neat package. And, and we actually use all three forms of establishing Bible authority when it comes to observing the Lord's Supper. And I, I thought maybe we'd just walk through this real quickly to sort of tie this all together. We're saying when it comes to our religious authority today, what we should be doing, we have to be able to establish it from the New Testament based upon direct command, approved example, or necessary inference. And the Lord's Supper uses all three of those. For instance, direct command tells us what we're supposed to do. First uh, Corinthians 11, verses 23 and 24, Paul references the Lord's command, do this in remembrance of me. So we do it because we're commanded to do it. Direct command tells us what to do. Observe the Lord's Supper. Remember Jesus. Approved example tells us when to observe the Lord's Supper. On In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them till midnight. So Acts 20, verse 7 gives us an example. When did early Christians meet to observe the Lord's Supper? Acts 20, verse 7 shows that they did it on the first day of the week. And so that's the only way you'll find out when they did it. There's no place in, there's no place when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper or when the, when the apostle Paul referenced it, he never said, do this on the first day of the week. Do, you must do this on Sunday. There's no direct command that says what day to do it on. But we don't need one because we have the approved example. In fact, it's interesting there in Acts 20, verse 7, the inspired apostle Paul was in that assembly. And so we know it's an approved example. Christians met on Sunday, the first day of the week, to observe the Lord's Supper. So that tells us when to do it. Necessary inference supplies us with the information about the frequency of the observance. If if I told you, let's say, Jacob, that you were my employee, and and we, we used this example last week, Jacob. If you're my employee and I say, on, on Friday, take the bank deposits to the bank. What would you assume from that? What would be your conclusion? Well, I would assume that you would want me to, when Friday came around, to take them to the bank. And if it was not Friday, not take them to the bank. And if it was on a Friday, that I needed to make a trip to the bank. Well, you'd understand then that every time Friday rolls around, I expect you to take the deposits to the bank. Right. Well, that's what we, that's, that's the inescapable conclusion. When, when, when the, the scriptures do, uh, do not say they met on the first Sunday of the month, they met on the first Sunday after the full moon of the spring solstice or any such thing as that, when it doesn't specify that it was a unique Sunday, when it just implies that this was the common practice on the first day of the week, the, the inescapable conclusion is that first century Christians met every Sunday to observe the Lord's Supper. And so by necessary, necessary inference, we reach the conclusion that we should be doing this every Sunday. So see how all three things come together. We're commanded what to do. Observe the Lord's Supper with the, with the appropriate elements in the remembrance of the body and blood of Jesus. To do it on the first day of the week by approved example. And to do it every first day of the week by necessary inference. And in that example, all three uh, lines of reasoning, if you will, come together to let us know what we should be doing. Someone may disagree with that tonight, Dad, listening to our program. If you disagree with the uh, principles that we have set forth as how you should establish Bible authority, maybe you disagree that we have to have Bible authority for the things that we do in our religious practices, we'd like to hear from you. 
Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567. If you disagree with us, we definitely would like to hear from you tonight. We'd like to hear from you. If you agree with us, let us know your thoughts. Again, toll-free at 877-381-4567 or send us your emails toll-free to questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, we're getting a, uh, we've got an email here, and it may be from someone who disagrees. I'm not sure. I can't tell from the tone of the email. But the question simply says, do you mean by Bible authority that ultimately any spiritual question should line up with the word? Um, and I guess I'm going to answer that, yes, that if it's if it's something that God wants us to be doing, he's going to tell us about it in his word. We're going to find the authority from the scriptures. Second Timothy three verses sixteen and seventeen says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. If it's a good work and you're supposed to be doing it, then you can read about it in the Word of God. And so I, my answer to that is yes. I'm saying that if it's if it's something God wants you to do. You'll find it in the scripture, and the answer to what we should be doing is there. And now it may not be explicitly uh, declared, but the principles will be there. We don't have any instruction in the New Testament to get on the Internet and have the virtual Bible study, but we have the principles to teach, and we have our authority then to do what we're well, doing. Well, this would go to the question of generic or specific authority, and the command to go to the, all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, would the, the Great Commission, would be generic authority there are there are both generic uh, authority and specific authority mentioned in the scriptures we have general authority for taking the gospel to the world and going by way of internet would be one of those ways but we do have authority for that there and so my answer to the question is yes by bible authority we mean that any spiritual question can and must be answered by the word of god if you have uh, any further comments about that we appreciate you emailing us tonight if you have any further questions or comments give us another email or give us a call at 877-381-4567. That's the number that a listener in California has dialed tonight. Uh, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Are you there in California? Yes, I am. Welcome. Uh, my, name's, my name's Dick Miller. I'm a member of the church out here. And in regard to your uh, uh, website here, it says that the common mistake that people make when the subject uh, about Bible subject, uh, yeah, Bible authority. Right, and, Dick. What do, you think, what do you think is the big mistake people make? Well, let me let me tell you how I approach uh, my first time by a study with with a Bible uh, a Bible study with people. Uh, I lay out a sheet of paper, an eight by five piece of paper with a line drawn on it, and a post-it stuck up in the upper right hand corner. And then uh, I ask everyone in the class, "How long is the line?" And you you, you get various answers. And I then I tell them that. Uh, after I get all the answers, I ask them, you know, did you give me the best shot, your, your best thing so on this? And they said yes. And then I tell them that they're all wrong, and I pull the post-it uh, up and show them a figure and tell them that that is how long the line is. And then I ask them if they will give up their think so and agree on the answer written on the paper. And 100% of the time, they indicate uh, yes because uh, that's the answer on the paper. And then I tell them they're all wrong, and that uh, that figure is wrong, and that really surprises them. Uh, and I say, well, why did you accept that figure that I, that was on there? And said, well, you're the teacher, and it was written down on the paper. And I point out, now that's the major problem that I see in approaching Bible study with people is that 
they had their think so and uh, talk about a mindset where Paul said, you know, I barely fought with it myself. I had to do many things contrary to Jesus, which I did. I said that was his mindset. He was doing what he thought was best based upon the religious teaching that he received, and yet he was involved in the persecution of Christians. And then I said, the second pro- uh, problem is is that uh, I deceived you. Uh, you just assumed that I was a teacher, that I had my Bible open, uh, and yet you saw this ruler laying on the table, and you didn't uh, you didn't challenge what I had to say. And then I point out that, that about the uh, uh, Bereans, how they searched the Scripture daily to see whether or not these things so. And I, I use this opening uh, thing to uh, help them understand and get them to see that we have to have book, chapter, and verse for what we do religiously. I think you're exactly right, Dick. You know, it's 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 uh, really interesting to me that the story you just told and the method that you described was was mentioned by uh, one of our listeners up in Indiana, Phil, up in Newcastle, Indiana, wrote in and said uh, he uses the same illustration, how long is this line? It's the best, he says, it's the best I know. Draw a line and ask everyone present to guess how long the line is. Point out that no matter how sincere or experienced someone might be, these qualities alone do not determine right. Your opinion may agree with the preacher who drew the line, or you might be in the majority, but those facts alone do not ensure that you are right. You can have lots of fun with this and go as deep as you want, but when every when everyone bows to the ruler, which in in spiritual matters, of course, is the Bible, then you get the right answer. Uh, and and so uh, another of our listeners uh, has used that same illustration. I think it's a great one. I think it really points out the need for some standard of authority. It can't just be what someone said or what I like or what I think. It has there has to be some objective standard. Well, I just wanted to share that with you. Thanks, Dick. That's a great illustration. We appreciate you listening out there in California. All right, thank you. Thank you, Dick. All right, eight seven seven three eight one. Four five six seven is the number to call. Appreciate Dick for joining in on the discussion tonight. Good to hear from him out in California, listening to the virtual Bible study. What about your thoughts? Let us know. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. The the phone line is open, or send us your emails to questions at collegeview dot com. So Jacob, we we I hope we've we've touched on the basics of Bible authority. I think it's how to establish it. We all, I want to get to some of these emails that people have sent in, but I hope that we have been able to establish. We're looking for New Testament authority. We're looking for what we do as Christians living in this New Testament era. And and the answer is to get the, the, the information, to get the conclusion, what we should be doing, what God wants us to be doing. It has to be a direct statement, an approved example, or a necessary inference, and when we put that together, we can we can know what God wants us to do. If not, how else do we know what God wants from us? If we don't look to His Scriptures and apply these rules, how do we know what God wants us from wants from us in our life? It can't be just a feeling. Paul had a feeling, and he was dead wrong. That's what Dick was just yeah, mentioning. Right. That, yeah. yeah. So if, if if we're not right about that, in other words, we've tried to show from the Scripture the justification for using this approach, but there are people who who have ridiculed this approach. And even even some of our own brethren, Jacob, in recent years have begun to say, oh, that's old-fashioned, that's that's out of date, that doesn't work. Uh, and occasionally you'll hear people calling for what they refer to as a new hermeneutic. And a hermeneutic is just means a way of interpreting the Bible. Some have been calling for a new hermeneutic because they say that methodology is out of date and it doesn't work. Well, if it doesn't work, what does work? We've been able to, I think, show from the Scripture that these are legitimate means of 
reading the Bible and knowing what God wants us to do. If that's not right, what is right? We would challenge someone to give us that answer. All right. We've shown the importance of having authority for all that we do. Maybe you disagree. Again, we'd like to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. One more break, and then we go to the top of the hour. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Do you remember when churches insisted on Bible authority for everything they did? Can you recall when church members always expected a thus saith the Lord? Remember when the church was well known for its book, chapter, and verse style of teaching and preaching? Are you upset because the church you're attending doesn't approach things this way anymore? Does it concern you that elders and preachers don't seem to care about Bible authority at all? The College View Church is still striving to do everything according to the New Testament pattern. If you're looking for a church like the one you remember from the past, please visit the College View Church of Christ. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And thank you again for joining us on the virtual Bible study tonight. If you want to find out more about the College View Church of Christ, who brings you this program every Thursday night, visit our website, collegeview.com. Or give us a call or an email anytime throughout the week. Same numbers and email that you use to contact us while we're live on the on the air. You can contact us anytime throughout the week if you have any questions about the College View Church of Christ. Thank you again for joining us. And we still have plenty of time to take your questions or comments on the phone, toll-free at 877-381-4567 or over email, questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, let's get to some of these emails that people have sent in uh, and answering the questions that we put out there. Uh, our friend Jim down in Tullahoma, Tennessee, has written, what's the most common mistake people make on Bible authority? He says, it seems to me that many think uh, they act with, many may think that they can act without Bible authority. As long as what they're doing accomplishes what they perceive as good, then it must be all right. The end justifies the means. I think he's exactly right about that. And I think that's a prevalent thought in the religious world. We just have to make up our mind. Does it do good? Then it's okay. Yeah. But that verse we read earlier, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, that tells us that if it's good, God's word tells us good. It's only good if God says it's good. It's not good if we say it's good. And the Bible tells us everything that God says is right. good. Who are we to say that something's good? We've tried to figure that out for ourselves and look at the trouble that got us in. Eve tried to figure that out for herself, and uh, she's uh, you know got in all kinds of trouble for that. So certainly we can't be the judge of what's right or wrong. Let's look, and, and and Jim also answers the second question. What's the one shot you would use to impress people with the importance of Bible authority? He said, I would use Colossians 3.17. Of course, Colossians 3.17 says that whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of or by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So everything we do, we've got to have authority for it. Uh, and then he would look to the consequences of violating God's authority in cases like Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2. That's a great story, too, and I think it does show. They they offered unauthorized fire to the Lord. It, it was fire, but it wasn't fire from the source that God had commanded, and they were struck dead. And we have an email from Vicki. Thank you, Jimmy, for your email tonight. We have an email from Vicki. Vicki has an excellent comment here about the most common mistake that people make. She says, assuming because something has been done for years that they have Bible authority for it, allowing tradition to be even be considered. Certainly a common mistake in the religious world, Dad, that people look to tradition and assume that if it's always been done that way, well, it must be right. Certainly there's much uh, mistakes that have arrived from that uh, approach to Bible authority. 
And then the second uh, question, Vicki says, uh, the best way you could impress the importance of Bible authority, she says the most important thing to discuss with someone is the plan of salvation. God sets the guidelines. He is the one that sent his son. So we need to go to Scripture and see what he tells us actually washes away our sins, where we come in contact with the blood of his son and how we are added to the church. Anything else is really a moot point if we are, aren't are a part of the body to begin with. And so we appreciate Vicki for her comments tonight. I think that last comment there, Jacob, illustrates just how important this is. We're talking about eternity here. We're talking about heaven and hell and our soul's eternal destiny. This is not just a, a, a philosophical or theological question that's nice to bat it back and forth and talk about. these Souls are at stake. Our souls are at stake. Uh, this is not a matter to be taken lightly. Uh, jump in on, on the phones, 877-381-4567, or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Plenty of time for you to be a part of the virtual Bible study still tonight. Jacob, we read earlier a part of this email from Phil up in Newcastle, Indiana. Phil, thanks for participating in the virtual Bible study tonight. Uh, we already read uh, uh, his illustration about how how can you impress on people, Bible authority, draw on the line, and he his 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 practice was much the same as Dick's out in California. But he meant, he answered the first question this way. What's the most common mistake that people make when it comes to the subject of Bible authority? He says people don't apply the same rules of interpretation to the Bible that are used in handling any other type of written communication. I think that's an excellent point. You know, for instance, one of the one of the things that people will do about the Bible is that they'll say, well, it doesn't say not to. For instance, we might, we've talked many times on the virtual Bible study about instrumental music. One of the common arguments about instrumental music, people trying to justify it, they'll say, well, the Bible doesn't say not to. Well, use that logic. Let's say that you're sending in a, a catalog order to Sears Catalog. And so you send in your catalog order, and about a week later, a semi-truck pulls up to your house and starts offloading a whole truckload of stuff. And you say to the to the delivery guy, hey, I, hey, I didn't order that stuff. And he pulls out your order and, and it says, well, it doesn't say not to. And so they, they, they send you the whole truckload of stuff because you didn't say don't send that. Well, that's ridiculous. That's illogical. Nobody would think that way. But for some reason, people throw that sort of logic and common sense out the window when it comes to reading and studying the Bible. So I think Phil makes a really good point there. Along those lines, Brad in Athens, Alabama, has said the most common mistake people make is that uh, they say God didn't say not to. So, uh, again, uh, a common theme there that people are acting upon the silence of the Scriptures and assuming that if God did not say something specifically, uh, did not specifically forbid something, that uh, they have the authority to, to do that. You know, you think about imagine an illustration like this. You, you send, let's say that I send you... Uh, to the store, Jacob, to buy a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. And I give you the money for it. I say, go to the store, buy a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. Well, when you come back, you have a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread, but you also have a dozen donuts and six candy bars. And and I said, what you do? What are you doing here? Well, what, what's this stuff? And and you say, you didn't say not to. Well, I mean, that wouldn't work. You, you, we would be in a mess on, on a, on just with, in the affairs of daily living if people were constantly using that kind of faulty logic and reasoning. You couldn't get anything done in the business world, you, at school, at the office, in the community. We would just be, I mean, society would virtually grind to a halt 
if people use that kind of faulty reasoning on a day-by-day basis, but for some reason they want to bring it into religion. And we'd all be really overweight, too. We'd be eating a lot of donuts. That's right. All right. And Brad goes on in question number two, the best uh, example to use to, to show the importance of Bible authority. He says, everyone draws a line somewhere. Let's say I'm talking to someone about instrumental music. Maybe he sees nothing wrong with singing with piano accompaniment. I would ask, since a piano is okay, what about a band? Maybe he's okay with a band. Well, what about a full orchestra? Pretty much the same thing as a band, so sure. What about a light show? Maybe he begins to hesitate, but eventually decides there's no problem with it. What about dancers? Now he really starts hesitating and doesn't really see that as necessary. How about a mosh pit? He says that goes too far and thinks it's ridiculous that anyone would think that's appropriate. He goes on and says, anyways, you get the point. Once you dismiss the need for Bible authority, uh, propriety becomes subjective. Instead of drawing our own lines, let's let God draw the line. The Bible is that line. So appreciate Brad. Yeah, I think Brad's right on. In fact, I would almost change his illustration there, Jacob. So he, he gets he gets the orchestra, and they said, well, okay, orchestra. And then he says, well, what about a light show? Okay, a light show. And they're sort of hesitating, but they they realize now they've let some things in. They're going to have to. What about an indoor fireworks display? And somebody said, well, that's ridiculous. No, they're doing that. We've, we've yeah, referenced certainly. the church in Nashville, yeah. the denominational church in Nashville that had an indoor fireworks display on the 4th of July. If you can't have fireworks in worship to God, how do you show that you can't? And if you can show for, that you can't for the fireworks, then you can show you can't for the instruments as well. Uh, you have to use the same argumentation. I think that's exactly right. I uh, got an email from uh, Roger in London, Kentucky. Roger, thanks for participating in our program tonight. He says, the most common mistake that, that I have run into is that silence from God authorizes. We've just been talking about that, Jacob. That's the It doesn't say not to argument. And uh, uh, Roger says he runs into that most often. I, I've run into it a lot myself, too. I think that is a huge problem. And then he said if he has just one shot to impress someone with Bible authority, the need for Bible authority, <clears throat> he said that he would use Matthew 21. Let's go over to that, Jacob. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 23. Matthew 21. Oh, well, that, that's, that's, I, that's where I started with. I, right. I don't know why I didn't register me. That's the, that's the passage we used earlier when the, the elders and chief priests were questioning Jesus about by what authority do you do these things and who gave you this authority? That's exactly right. Thank you, Roger. Thank you for reemphasizing what we were saying earlier. Yeah, I think. we needed to hear that because yeah, yeah. we had forgotten it. I've forgotten it. Uh, thank you, Roger, for your email tonight. 877-381-4567. You dial that number right now. You can be on with us and you can share your comments with us on the phone. We can even take an email from you. If you'll type really fast and send it now. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. I referenced an email earlier from Randy in Jackson, Missouri. Let me get to the other part of his email, Jacob. He says the the most common mistake people make about Bible authority, he says they try to get people to obey the commands of the Bible when those people have not yet come to faith in the inerrancy of the Bible. Another common mistake, I believe, is to use the Bible verses to support the authority of Scripture. Even a false book can make its own claims of authority. That doesn't prove anything to an unbeliever. Randy's taking a little different tack here. He's, he's, uh, and I, I would agree with what he says here, but he's taking the attack of trying to teach someone who's not even a believer in God or the Bible yet, and you're trying to use the Bible to prove that the Bible is is the true word of God. Well, if a person doesn't believe the Bible, you can't use internal evidences to convince them. You're going to have to use external evidences to convince them that the Bible is the is the literal word of God. You got to get them started in that direction, and then 
you can bring you can ultimately bring in the internal evidence. But he says uh, uh, when we're trying to reason from the Bible, we've got to you, you can't prove anything until you've got people committed to the fact that the Bible really is the word of God. That's that's an obvious first step. And we we didn't mention it, but I think Randy's on the mark there. You got to have people trusting in the Bible. Once you get them to, to acknowledge that the Bible is the verbally inspired word of God, then you can proceed to get them to do what the Bible says to do. That's right. Thank you for that email, Randy. We do have to start in the right place, and so appreciate Randy bringing that to our attention. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Got another email there. Make it uh, make it two more emails. Jacob, we've got an email from our uh, friend Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee, regular listener to the Virtual Bible Study. Keith, we're glad you're listening tonight. He says, uh, Churches of Christ in the local area have posted in the newspaper today an ad inviting everyone to a new church camp that is about to open nearby. I know from personal experience that some churches around in the area have given large sums of money to get this camp up and running. Uh, they're going to feed everyone hot dogs and are going to have a bonfire. They're making the argument that this camp is going to bring in new converts. In the 15 or so years that I belong to one of the churches that had funded the old camp, they used to run... Uh, they used to run a camp at a rented facility. I have yet to see any results from this camp. Sadly, this is one of the reasons I had to leave and find a conservative church. How can any group of elders make such a mistake when it has done nothing for the church? In asking the elders for their authority, they said it does good, and kids are learning the Bible. Do camps like these mirror a missionary society? Uh, well, notice what those people are saying, and this is what Jim in Tullahoma mentioned the end justifies the means and basically that's what these elders are telling keith it's doing good so it's okay we can do it because it does good in other words that's their that's their line of reasoning that's their justification but they're not able to establish from the scriptures that they have authority for this and if they if we can assume that it does good gives us justification we could use that same argument for bank robbery or uh or grand uh, theft, we could do. Uh, we can do good with those kind of things. If we could steal the money, we could do a lot of good with it. We could justify bank robbery with the same line of argumentation. Thank you for your email tonight, Keith, and thank you for listening. I got an email from uh, John in uh, uh, Indiana who says, uh, following along the same lines of an early email in, uh, about interpretation. Even if you use the argument of exact translation, you are still going to have individual feelings on any aspect of the Bible. Two people could look at any chapter, any verse for that matter, and have completely different interpretations on what it really means because it is a matter of how it feels to you, touches you, and moves you. No two people feel the same way on any subject. They might be pretty close, but no two people are exactly alike. It is impossible to set down exact guidelines because of this fact. That is why there are so many branches of the same religion. And even in those branches, the members of the congregation do not all feel the exact same way. Well, thanks, John, for sending in that email. But I got to disagree with you. You're arguing that there is no objective truth in the word of God and that it's all subjective, uh, subjective to how you feel about it. We, we don't believe that. We don't believe that about other things. We don't believe that about science or mathematics. We don't believe that two plus two. To me, it just feels like five is the right answer. It might seem like it's different to you, and you'll have to live with your answer to that question. I'll live with mine. No, we don't approach it that way. There is such a thing as subjective truth, uh, and and the Bible has subjective truth from God. There is right Jesus said in John 8:32 you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. This is not subjective. 
you said it was subjective truth. It's objective. Uh, objective truth, right. That's right. But now, I, but John mirrors uh, something that a lot of people in the religious world are using for justification. That is, they say that if it feels a certain way to you, then it is okay. If it feels right, it's okay. If that's what that passage means to you, that's okay. But if we allow that to be correct, if we allow that to be the case, that if it feels right to you, that it's okay, then we can allow anything at all. There's we, no, there is well, no standard when we when we say that. Now that's a lot of people. What a lot of people in the religious world are saying that it must be all right because it feels like it's right to me. But if we say that that is the correct way to view the scriptures, then anything and everything goes. Well, think how it wouldn't work in other fields. It, it feels right for me to take your car. It just feels right. I want to take your car. No, it doesn't matter how it feels. That's wrong. And and we society depends upon. Absolute, absolute truth. truth. Right. And that 55 mile an hour speed limit sign that I'm going to pass on the way home, if I get pulled over going 65 and tell the police officer, well, it, officer, it just felt right. It felt like it was the right thing to do. 55 means to me I can do 65. The officer is going to give me a ticket. He's guaranteed. going to set you straight on that. Right. So appreciate John for sending that email, but we'd have to disagree with him. That's what a lot of people in the rich world are telling us today, that it is all subjective. But we believe the Bible must have absolute truth. Otherwise, it is no standard at all. We can throw it away if it is not the absolute word of God and must be followed in its entirety. So thank you for listening tonight, John, and thank you for that comment. Dad, before we conclude the program tonight, let's talk about our program next week. We've got an exciting program planned for next week. We, we were able to make contact with a, 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 mem- a former member of an Episcopal church in Texas. That church has come out of the, uh, the association that they were in because of the Episcopal church's official stance in, in accepting homosexuality. And we were able to do an interview, and we're going to air that part of that next week and talk about that group, what they did, and what the implications are. And it's and we tonight's study Jacob sort of lays the groundwork Bible authority you know uh, if if we're going to take a stand on one thing the Bible says then what we hope to stress is we need to take a Bible on every uh, take a stand on everything the Bible says yeah an interesting interview next week we hope you'll make plans to be a part of it next week tell a friend about the virtual Bible study tell them to be here next week for our interview with a group that has left the Episcopal Church over an important issue. We want you to be here next week to hear that important interview. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. I appreciate all of our listeners for joining in on the program tonight. That's right. And be back next week. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be here same time, same place. Make it a regular appointment. All right. And we hope you will be back next week. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.